Hey everyone, welcome back to Adherent Apologetics. As always, we're brought to you by you with your support on Patreon.com. Today I'm joined by Nick Quint, the New Testament theologian. We're going to be talking about physicalism and the New Testament and Paul and all these like fun topics. And I'm going to destroy Nick with my amazing philosophical arguments. Um, not really. <laughs> no, it's not going to be like that. But Nick, how's it going, man? I'm good, brother. Thanks for having me on. It's 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 been a good morning so far. My second cup of coffee, and I mean, you, you can't go wrong with that. So you can't go wrong with a second cup of coffee. So um, thank you, everyone who's joining us um, this afternoon or morning, depending on whether where you're at. If you're listening live, um, and if you're listening after this is recorded, well, thanks for joining us as well. Um, but just to start off, Nick, in case people don't know who you are, could you just like introduce yourself uh, very briefly? Sure. Yeah, I'm I'm Nick. I uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I think it's at Nick Quint Q U I E N T, and I'm a PhD candidate now at Ridley College down in Melbourne, Australia, uh, studying New Testament stuffs and Paul and salvation and all that. So uh, it's fun. Uh, graduate of Fuller Seminary. Um, married with a wonderful little boy who's currently uh not on my lap or pooping or screaming or crying so it's a, it's a very very good morning and uh yeah just a local baptist pastor here in southern california that's that's me in a nutshell yeah that's great um for those of you listening what we're going to do today is just talk about um does the new testament teach physicalism obviously nick thinks it does i have no idea um so we're just going to kind of look through that and nick's going to kind of give reasons to think that and we'll just kind of work through it together um and if we have live questions we'll answer a few at the end um but, but to start off could you talk a little bit just about like um maybe like with like regards to like new testament theology and physicalism what are you talking about um with regards to the new testament teaching something here yeah, and so uh, the New Testament theology is kind of, uh, and I, I have a, a YouTube channel called the New Testament Theolo or called New Testament Theologist, um, which means that the running joke is I, I take the temperature of, of the Bible. Um, but it's it's What's a, the temperature of the Bible right now. Uh, it is currently uh, inspired and authoritative, but we'll see how it goes, <laughs> given critical scholarship. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, but it's a kind of a contested idea, and I kind of go through that on the channel a little bit, at least the first few uh, first few uh, videos, and then I kind of dovetail into more interesting things, I think. But the, in, in the, it's the idea that the New Testament, when taken collectively, is diverse in how it speaks about a topic, but it is also united with how it speaks about a topic. Mm -hmm. And so, an example, uh, Jesus is God. We'll, we'll say that. I mean, uh, there's debates about it, but let's just say the New Testament teaches that Jesus is God. Well, Mark and John have very different ways of expressing and communicating how Jesus is God. So it's it's kind of the idea of if you hold up a diamond, you can see many different shades or nuances or reflections or, you know, depending on all that. But but it, you're still talking about the diamond, but it's it's many ways of talking about one thing, and that is Jesus, our resurrected Lord. So that's kind of what New Testament theology is in a very basic nutshell. And my belief is that when the New Testament speaks as a whole, it has diverse ways of communicating who we are as human, as human beings, as men and women. Um, but it seems to suggest, I would argue, that we are physical creatures. Um, and it doesn't go as far as to say we have an additional immaterial immortal soul. And there's debates about whether or not the soul is itself immortal. That gets an eschatology, but sadly, it's usually it should be something discussed about anthropology. Um, but there, it is the idea that I think the New Testament teaches that the human person is a, we might say, merely human to, I'm kind of alluding to C.S. Lewis's language, uh, 
I, I like to say we are merely human now, but we will be fully human in the resurrection, you know, in the glorification and stuff like that, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about. But yeah, it's the idea to put it negatively, which I don't like to do, but let's put it negatively. Uh, the New Testament does not give us a doctrine of the immortal, um, immaterial soul. It seems to present the human person as a unified, or we wouldn't even say unified because that seems to presuppose two different facets. Um, but what you, someone called it a multidimensional monism, which kind of is that idea of say New Testament theology. You have a person, a human person, and there's many ways of describing this human person using um, uh, glorified language, uh, sin language, you know, those sorts of things. But you're still talking about the human body, the human person. And so um, that's kind of what it is in a nutshell. There's many different facets of that, but I, at the end of the day, I believe that the New Testament presents the human person as a fully human creature or created entity or being um, with no uh, immortal, immaterial soul or spirit in the sense that we might say modern Christian philosophers or philosophers in general tend to think of the word soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. So could you talk a little bit like about like some of the passages that you look at that kind of suggest that uh, maybe we don't have a soul, but rather we're kind of like physical objects in a sense? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, and it's a good question because there's it's 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 one of those things. It's more a matter of the New Testament seems to presuppose this idea. So, mm -hmm. for example, the New Testament presupposes that we are physical creatures. Um, and what I what I think I would more be comfortable arguing uh, is that um, the New Testament doesn't go as far as to give us a doctrine of the soul, if that makes sense. And so, mm -hmm. but I do think there are certain texts that I would look at and go, okay, if we're talking about uh, resurrection and uh, resurrected bodies, right? We're talking about that sort of thing. So I'll, I'll do, I'll do, I'll give two texts and I'll give uh, another reason why. Uh, if we look at Romans 8, kind of the quintessential uh, glorification creation and bondage, all that sort of stuff. Um, if we're thinking that Paul is a dualist, whether in the modern, ancient or modern sense, um, or a dualist plus, there's probably many different types of dual. There are many types of dualism. Um, Paul was a dualist in the sense that he was a cosmological dualist, that there was, um, there is a heavenly realm, there's a human realm, and the two are often at war with each other. And even in the heavenly realm, there might be some things at war with each other, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So there is a dualism or a separation between, we might say, the human plane and uh, God or divine plane. But even then, uh, that gets kind of blurred because, um, I mean, the incarnation, right? Um, but so he does have that kind of cosmo cosmological dualism, light and dark, good and evil, you know, stuff like that. Um, but what I think the New Testament gets at is in Romans 8 is we are looking forward to what Paul calls the uh, emancipation of our bodies or the liberation or redemption of our bodies. And what is interesting about that, and this was something I found out, is Paul doesn't say uh, redemption from our bodies, right? Mm -hmm. As if our bodies themselves are the problem, which is itself kind of a Gnostic sort of idea that the flesh is intrinsically bad and rather than being redeemed you discard it like like a, a rotten shirt you know you just take it and you're done with it you know rather what paul seems to suggest is that the flesh or the body itself is transformed and redeemed which means which seem, and he doesn't go so far as to kind of add on the additional component or premise of and the soul will be in a part of this process so in all of his kind of resurrection uh kind of I mean, First Corinthians 15, it is the flesh, it is seeds, it is stars, it's physical objects that are mm -hmm. transformed from their, we might say their original state into glory in the same way that Jesus Christ is glorious. But Jesus, but what you have is not 
a reimputation of an immaterial immortal soul back into flesh, because that's essentially what dualism would have to argue. Um, rather, the flesh is the focus or the body or the human person. We might say, if I say body or flesh, I'm usually thinking it's a metonymy for the human person. Um, not exclusive, but think that kind of thing. So when Paul talks about the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of the flesh, the, the restoration of the flesh, the you know, and glorification and stuff like that, um, he doesn't go as far as to kind of affirm or insert this additional proposition. It's always the body that is resurrected. So if Paul does have a doctrine of, uh, uh, of the soul, he doesn't talk about it. And that brings up the mm -hmm. second point. So Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 15, kind of his resurrection treatises, you would expect soul language. He doesn't use that. He does use spirit language, or we might say a spirified body, but that's not cast by the ghost. That is a body empowered by the Holy Spirit, or we might say reanimated by the Spirit or generated by the Spirit. So that gives us a lot of, I mean, you hear my Christian perfection. I'm, I'm tingling, you know, thinking about mm -hmm. that, you know, that kind of glorification or even theosis. But what you get with those two texts and, and resurrection, it's always the body that's restored, not not the reimputation or even you want to put it positive, the remarriage of body and soul back together. You don't have that premise. And so when Paul uses what the Greek term uh, is suke in Greek for soul um, or commonly translated soul, uh, almost every time he uses it, it usually refers to either himself as a human person, like my soul magnifies the Lord, which, OK, he's mm -hmm. he's speaking of himself. You know, we get that. Um, there's also uh, in, in uh, Matthew's gospel, for example, and there's a couple quote problem passages for uh, physicalists in, in Matthew's gospel. But Matthew uh, 2 uh, 20 speaks of uh, the uh, of Herod sending, you know, the troops after uh, the child and his mother after after the baby Jesus. Right. And they are seeking his life. They're seeking to kill him. You know, they're, they're seeking to kill, but it's it's OK. They're not trying to kill his soul. They're not thinking metaphysically or or philosophically. They're trying to kill him. And so that kind of tells us that Suke um, might have an immaterial component in the sense of it being used to describe something about the human person. But that doesn't mean that it's speaking of the immaterial soul, if that makes sense. And so I think um, and we can look at more texts in Matthew's gospel or, or Paul. But I think the big thing that we see, at least in the New Testament, is that well, for example, uh, Priscilla, I, I, I want to say it's Priscilla and Aquila. I could be wrong. It's Romans 16. I should know this because Romans 16 is awesome. But let's say, I, I think it's Priscilla and Aquila. Let's say it is. Uh, yeah. Or there, it's a couple, there's a married couple in, in Romans 16 who risks, risks their necks or their very lives for my sukes, Paul's own life. He's not thinking of, of his soul. He's thinking about himself. And, uh, they also, I mean, that seeking my life, you know, in Romans 11, you know, that Lord, they've killed your prophets. I'm the only one left. They're trying to kill me, you know, and that's, you know, mm -hmm. they're seeking my life. And Suke also has this uh, image of, of when the person dies, um, their Suke dies. And so it's like in Revelation 16, three, I want to say, where, you know, they, the second angel pours the bowl, you know, one of the, I can't remember if it's four or seven. I always, the numbers always get mixed in my head, uh, pours the bowl of wrath into the sea of the bowl. And, and the seed kind of turns in, becomes like blood and every living thing, Suke died in the sea. And so Suke in the new Testament, I would say by and large, when it's not used like metaphorically or in kind of a hymnic kind of way, seems to denote the human person in her totality as human person, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
And so it just doesn't go as far as I, as I would I would say. It doesn't go so as far as to affirm the additional premise of what I would say Christian dualists, and they are Christians, of course, I'm not saying they're not. Christian dualists and philosophers kind of need that additional premise. So mm. um, I think that's kind of where I go. And I could be con easily convinced of this, um, not necessarily philosophically, because I, I, I've seen enough physicalist kind of responses philosophically to kind of dualists and the interaction between the two of them. And I kind of go, okay, flip a coin. Like, uh, okay, sure, yeah. I, I don't know. But as a Bible guy, my first thought is, okay, does scripture give us grounds? And I don't think scripture gives us enough momentum to get into, we might say, Christian mm -hmm. philosophical dualism. If that kind of gives a, a yeah. big picture, kind of what everything is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that might be helpful here to just kind of think about it is uh, there's a couple of things, but one is like um, when Paul talks about, like I'm thinking about in like Romans six, where it's like um, I do is like um, my flesh once I like, I'm going to terribly misquote this, but it's kind of like, I, I, I can't stop myself from sinning basically. And like my mind says do something, but then my flesh does the other. And I'm kind of like, it seems like he's like, almost sounds like he's like a soul stuck in a body is kind of like, just like the, observation from someone from me um just kind of like glancing through this passage having no like new testament theology understanding um so what do you think like with those passages like romans 6 i know you talked about this um yeah. hitting through this but like what's kind of the idea here um with paul and such yeah and i think you're talking romans 7 the the famous um, yeah. I, okay yeah yeah no that's mm -hmm. a great it's a great passage and i think it actually kind of helps with physicalism because it's not saying that you don't have a mind doesn't mean you don't think or or do mm -hmm. things but it views all of the that component all those components as a single as as a thing like the mm -hmm. diamond we'll use that as the example um so my mind wants to do something so it might say you might say and this is the person in adam right the person and i would argue the person in adam right so it's a an adamic reading of romans 7. um so to give just a brief, it's not Paul talking about his personal experience. It's not the Jewish person talking. It's it's Paul is adopting it at the persona of the person in Adam as opposed to as opposed to the person who is in Christ. So think of in Adam in Christ, and then the person in Christ proclaims. Uh, it, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus in Romans eight one and so on. And so it's mm -hmm. like okay, you see the switch from Adam to Christ. But um, I think that passage actually illustrates the point because the uh, my mind or my my heart kind of things those are uh contingent upon understanding them in a physical way so he's thinking you're thinking it's not literally my heart sings you know my heart the heart does not sing you know the trees do not clap their hands in the old testament when god you know brushes through them you know or the wind brushes through them but we understand mm -hmm. these as figures of speech it's kind of one of those things where um being tormented in my soul doesn't mean my soul literally is feeling a certain way. It's that I know what I should be doing. God has granted me the spirit. God has told me what is righteous and holy, and yet I don't do it. That's not mm -hmm. a matter of my soul kind of yanking my body this way into that or me having to grab my soul and yank it this way. It's no, the mind is clouded in sin and darkness, and we need the spirit to kind of give us the light out of that. And so you can have the, the war of the mind and the spirit, because that's explicitly what Paul gets to in Romans 8, is those who are seeking God with the spirit will see life, is kind of the idea, out of that darkness, out of that mire. And so I, don't, I, I think it actually is, is a very powerful in, uh, support for physicalism, because it actually seems to be based on the idea of the physical body and how the physical body can react to the spirit and with the spirit and can even seek the spirit in Romans 8, 11 and 13 and so forth.
Mm. So given like um, your, your like physicalist understanding of like the mind and such, um, mm. like, like a physical, like a typical physicalist claim is that like somehow like the mind is um, produced by the body or something along these lines. So obviously we have this mind, which seems like, you know, like indivisible or irreducible and such. Um, so like in our, like our, our first person experience that we have, is it something that's mm. like produced by the brain then in your view um, with like New Testament theology? Yeah, the New Testament doesn't get into the weeds with that. Um, the New mm -hmm. Testament, and it, this kind of, you know, the big problem for Christian philosophers uh, of all stripes, physicalists, dualists, yeah. and all the variants, is the problem of continuity of identity. Because you still have to account for the physical body, even in a dualistic scheme, right? It's not as if, oh, uh, you know, for example, if the identity is grounded in the human body, and we'll say the mind, um, then for the physicalist, the question is, how does, how is it not a clone? when you're raised from mm -hmm. the dead, right? Yeah. And um, that's a hard question just because I'm like, I don't think the New Testament really, I, I, if you were to ask that question to Paul, he'd just kind of look at you and go, what? Like yeah. it, it wouldn't kind of occur to him to think of that because he seemed, because if you look at kind of how he talks in 1 Corinthians 15, it's seed to growth, you know? Uh, and it's it's this physical thing that goes onto a next stage. Now it doesn't mean it's discarded, but in order for that next thing to happen, you need this one thing over here. And so there is a continuity of identity that Paul seems to presuppose, but he doesn't get into the mechanics of how that works. Hmm. And I think the dualist isn't, the dualist, uh, a lot of my dualist philosopher friends love to kind of say, ah, this is a problem for physicalism. And I go, yes, it is a problem, but it's only a problem if you actually believe in the resurrection of the body, because hmm. dualists still have to explain how that can happen on a dualist paradigm where you don't have a clone of the is it just you know the clone of the human flesh like how does that even work and so the continuity of identity problem is not solved just by using the soul as to put it crudely as a chip you know it's like a, it's like your body's a hard drive and the soul is you know a usb driving doink you just stick it in and it's like boom there you go it's you still have to account for the thing that's resurrected you know how does that work and how does the body unless the body and soul are so completely divisible that you can literally, you know, unplug and then plug back in, which I don't, I don't know any dualist that would think that like, to, you know, it's, the body and soul are very, I mean, they'll go, I mean, JP Moreland and others will go to great lengths to their credit to go, the soul without the body is like naked. And so it's like, the, it's, they understand that kind of idea. And it's like, and so I, I kind of view the whole question as that's a question for Christians to figure out and mm -hmm. Christians much smarter than me that are trained in philosophy to figure that out. Um, all I can do is say the New Testament seems to seems to presuppose and in some instance assert that whatever the whatever goes into the ground comes back up. How that works is and I it sounds it may sound pious. It may sound mysterious is an act of God. Mm -hmm. And um I'm willing to watch philosophers argue about acts of God and try and understand acts of God. Um, they may convince me that I'm wrong and all that, but at the end of the day, I just kind of go, look, the new Testament just kind of asserts this. And mm. it's, I, I'm not trained enough in modern like mind body theory philosophy to, to understand how Paul would have thought. I can just tell you why I think Paul thought that and it's because God raised Jesus from the dead. Mm. Spartan theology says, hasn't Nick seen the documentary freaky Friday that would clearly explain how souls work. Um, which Freaky Friday, though? That's the question. <laughs> so it's just obvious here that you're not enlightened, and that's why you're a physicist. Um, <laughs> no, I, I just haven't watched Deuteronomy Freaky Friday. I've watched uh, you know, first Freaky Friday. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So one question I have for you here now is like, what would Paul think of dualism? Like, if he mm. like, if you if you told Paul like, hey, you have this like immaterial soul that's kind of like put together with your body, and we have these like two aspects here. Um, what would Paul think of this idea of dualism? I, I think he. I think Paul 
and Paul is hard to pin down because sometimes he might be charitable and sometimes he might not. You know, mm-hmm. Galatians, he's pretty good. Philemon, or Galatians, he is not very good. Philemon, he's pretty, he's pretty amenable to folks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Paul would, in terms of anthropological dualism, Paul was a dualist in an epistemological sense. There is right and wrong, light and light, uh, good and evil, light and darkness. You know, then there's God and angels and Jesus and then us, you know, stuff like that. Um, but what I think he would look at Christian dualism as attempting to solve a problem that he doesn't see as a problem. Hmm. And so it's, it's again, kind of the idea of the additional premise, you know, Paul basically asserts and this, uh, this gets us back to if, if God raised Jesus from the dead, then how God raised Jesus from the dead is a question that can only be asked when you're raised from the dead to ask Jesus, you know, how hmm. did that work? You know, it's yeah. not that, and it's not to say it's all scientific or anti-scientific. I'm sure there can be reasons for it, but we are talking by nature. This is a miracle. This is an act of God. God actually, and this is what Christian, this is the foundational Christian claim. God raised Jesus from the dead. Not Jesus was raised from the dead, but God raised Jesus from the dead. And so I think Paul's language in Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Matthew's language about the soul dying or the suke, the, the soul, or we might say the person dying. Um, I think they would kind of look at it as, and I don't think they would do this with the Trinity because some people will say, you know, um, oh, the Tr- they would they would have looked at the Trinity like what, you know, kind of thing. They may mm-hmm. not be as refined uh, as we might like, you know, they may not have the Nicene, perfect Nicene understanding, but the seeds of what they say, if you said, hey, you said these things, how does this work kind of together to form it? And they, I think the doctrine of the Trinity, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I can see, yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to get at, but I didn't yeah. have... I didn't have the papyrus to write it down, you know, but versus Christian dualism, I, I think it's so, um, and that's not to, and I, I should clarify, dualism is a common, if not probably the, I wouldn't say universal, but I would say it's the majority opinion in, in the first century uh, by mm-hmm. far. And, and that that's for different reasons. You know, you have Platonism, you have middle plate, you have all these sorts of different pl- variations of Platonism and, and Hellenization and stuff like that. And it's not as if there's a pure he- you know, Hebrew view where, oh, you know, physicalism or anything like that. It's just people talk, ideas get pop- perpetuated and syncretism mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. But I think um, I, I think Paul would be bewildered by it because I think he looks at it as you're trying to answer a question that it's just the wrong question to ask. Mm. And so it's his basic assertion throughout all of this is the body can be restored. The, the soma, the body, the person, the flesh, the suke even can be restored. Asking about what the soul is, is kind of, you know, he's arguing about a car and the other person wants to argue about trees that the car might hit. And it's like, well, you can talk about that, but that's not, that's not what I'm, what I'm thinking. So I think, I think he, there's certain phrases that he uses that I could see him being, yeah, I could see how you take it that way, you know, interpret it, you know, but I, I think at the end of the day, he'd be like, no, I meant something more like this, you know, um, that's presuming Paul, you know, is raised and we're talking about this, you know, but um, mm-hmm. I, I, so I think he'd be, I don't think he'd have a favorable view of it, but I don't think, I mean, I, I think he'd be like, oh, I see where he went wrong. It's you're asking this question. Um, I'm not, yeah. I'm not talking about that here. Mm. Yeah, that's great. So another kind of question I have um, with this is just like, how does this all play into like the final resurrection of the dead? Mm-hmm. Um, you hinted at this a little bit earlier where it's like, well, you know, like if like physicalism is true and like we die now and that's kind of it. And then we like we rise from the dead with like a different body or such. How are we the same person or something like that? And then like there's kind of right. like a reverse problem for dualism. But like, how do you think this all plays into like the final resurrection of the dead? Does that like in part push you towards physicalism or like giving like problems for dualism or just something else along those lines? Yeah, no, I, and I think for me, it's 
and I could be convinced that I'm wrong about, um, I mean, philosophically, like I said, flip a coin. Like I could be easily mm-hmm. convinced of, of dualism philosophically. I'm not, I don't have a hill to, to, to die on with that as it relates to that. What I'm concerned about is I think the New Testament doesn't grant people the premise of, of dualism. And what I think it tends to do is, and, and I know dualists don't do this, but I see it enough in popular literature, and I also see it in popular preaching, is the idea that going to heaven means basically dying. And I'm like, okay, hold on. The New Testament does not talk about dying and go to he- going to heaven. The New Testament talks about over and over being raised from the dead. But as Jesus was raised from the dead, so are we raised from the dead. And I think what physicalism does, and this is a, a big reason why I'm a physicalist, is that, it, and it's not to say other people, uh, dualists, and other, this, the reason I'm a Christian physicalist is because I believe the resurrection is the, the singular event that defines all things. Because the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus confirms the incarnation, that Jesus was who Jesus said he was. Oh, God vindicated him and showed him to be innocent. Not only that, all the stuff about the God talk, who he is, the great I am, you know, and the, I'm the one crying out in the wilderness. Oh, that was all true because God raised him from the dead and vindicated him mm-hmm. and showed him to be who he was. Um, but that doesn't happen without the resurrection of Jesus. And so for me, Christian physicalism elevates the resurrection to its proper place in Christian theology and basically goes, without a New Testament to argue about, you don't have a resurrection. You need a resurrection in order for all of this. For us to even be having this conversation 2,000 years later, you need a bodily resurrection for to generate all of this. And so for Christian physicalists, the idea of when I die, and I'll speak for myself, you know, when I die, I don't expect to be conscious. I expect it'll probably be darkness. Like, uh, and but darkness, I won't feel because I'm not alive. I'm not, I'm not here, you know, um, I'm in the ground. And what it means is, you know, whenever the Lord decides that enough is enough and he's going to abolish death forever and bring everything into its proper place um, and the dead are raised, I expect it'll be like Paul says in first Corinthians 15 at the last trumpet at the, in the blink of an eye. It was just, it is, it's just, you won't even, you know, it's, it's as if, and that's kind of the idea of um, you're not going to know because Instantly, it's going to be your back because the, the mm. it's the joke from the Old Testament, right? The dead know nothing. You, you don't know anything. You're dead, you know, kind of thing. And what I think the, the bodily resurrection does for a physicalist is that it grounds literally everything we believe. Because then it tells us that uh, death is a genuine threat. It is a genuine power that the resurrection actually destroys. And that's why, you know, Second Timothy, you know, he came and abolished death. He destroyed death. Uh, that can't happen if the body's not raised. And so mm-hmm. as, as a physicalist, there's nothing else for to be raised or to be re-imputed or to be remarried, you know, all that. It's I am brought back to life. And that is my singular hope uh, for any sort of conception of life after death. And so for me, it's, it's the great hope. It is the great belief that uh, God acted in history, that God uh, is faithful and God... Uh, re- I wouldn't say rewards faithfulness, but God is faithful if we are faithful, and even sometimes when we're not faithful. And God goes, "All right, well done. Get out of the ground." <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like. And so, for me, the the bodily resurrection of Jesus is is it's everything for a yeah. physicalist because there's nothing else. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, I do want to say, if you're listening, and you have questions for Nick. We have a few more questions here, and then we'll go to a little bit of Q and A. Um, so feel free to ask anything related to these lines or New Testament theology or whatever. Um, but one question I have for you is: So, would you kind of like reject the idea of this intermediate state then? Um, mm-hmm. so like for example, like there's no one really in heaven necessarily, right? I mean, obviously like Christ and such. Um, right. but like would you just reject the inter- intermediate state 
as as just like a whole theology like it's just it's not a real thing well it's 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 a non-starter right and um and so i mean it's one of those things if i if i if if i die and i go into the ground i'm not going anywhere so yeah there is no intermediate state um um, and there are dualists that do affirm something like soul sleep, um, where you die and you're basically unconscious. Like, for example, the crude analogy, I apologize, but let's just, you know, your body and it's the soul goes out and the body just kind of lays there or the body even just stays in there. But the, the power goes out, you know, mm -hmm. and you're just unplugged, for lack of a better word. And, and I'm not trying to be crude about it, but that's just an, an image. You know, you're unplugged until you're until God decides to replug you in and body and soul come back out of the come back up, you know, mm -hmm. Um and so even a dualist can believe in some sort of uh, soul sleep or or something like that, or even an, unco an unconscious intermediate state. But for a physicalist, yeah, there, there is no intermediate state. Um, and it's one of those things that actually, and I've seen it preached at funerals, uh, this person's in heaven now. And it's like, well, no, the New Testament doesn't talk like that. In fact, the New Testament basically says they are dead or asleep in Christ. That doesn't mean they're in heaven. It means Christ has seen them. And if we use kind of the analogy, they are stored away in Christ because Christ will raise them back from the dead. They're mm -hmm. safe. They're secure in Christ. You don't have to worry about where they are because Christ knows where they are. Even if, you know, complete dissipation of ashes, they are gone. Christ still knows them. Christ still has them. Christ has the power to raise them back from the dead. Um, so I, I think, yeah, the idea of an intermediate state is one I just don't see supported by the New Testament. And uh, if you believe the New Testament, and it could be that, you know, you believe that the New Testament uh, teaches physicalism, but then you run up to the intermediate state and then you have, you know, a problem. But I just don't think the text themselves also teach an intermediate state. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it, it's it would I would say for me as a physicalist, it is a the intermediate state is a non-starter because, like, again, it's asking the wrong question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So one thing I kind of wonder here is what do you think about maybe like um, like when Jesus is at the transfiguration um, mm -hmm. and we have like uh, Abraham and Moses and he's kind of like interacting with these people or like Elijah ascends into heaven. Um, are these just kind of like special circumstances and like for everyone else, there's no intermediate state or like what's going on here? Yeah, it could be a bunch of things. Uh, it could be a vision. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a visionary experience. Uh, at the very least, it's a vision. Um, and it could be that and, and I don't have a, it could be. And one of the jokes is um, uh, uh, when the, the, the witch of Endor summons Saul or no, not Saul. Um, um, oh, the prophet. Um, Saul asked the media, uh, the witch of Endor. Uh, I forget the name. I, I want to say, is it Nathan? And anyway, a prophet that was critical of King Saul. It shows you how much I know of Old Testament. I really should read more. Um, yeah. But brings him back from the dead. And of course, the the, the medium is shocked because this is this doesn't happen. This is kind of a running joke. It's actually a very funny story. And one, what does he say? Why have you waken me up? <laughs> like I was happy. Leave me alone. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. And I, I think it's it's a it's a silly story, but not in the sense of being untrue. But it's it's tongue in cheek a little bit. It's it's kind of funny. Because you don't expect it to happen. And so I think it's entirely conceivable that God could raise people from the dead, not to glory, because Lazarus was not raised to glory, um, mm. but raised back to life for a period of time um, to fulfill a specific purpose. So I don't have a problem saying that because at the end of the day, I believe we live in a very weird world with all sorts of things that I personally can't explain, you know. Mm. Um, and so I just, I just kind of leave myself open on that. Could God do something like that? Well, I think he has sometimes. Um, I, I don't think they're common. I don't think they're normal, but neither is the, the resurrection, neither is the incarnation. So yeah. um, I, I think it's probably most likely a vision, a shared visionary experience of sorts. Uh, but it also could be just a very special circumstance where God's like, you know, let's lift up uh, Elijah. And I think it was Moses. And let's let's get the point across, you know. Mm -hmm.
yeah no that's great one kind of like last subject i have for you is to talk about like could this open the door for something like idealism so like if we take like your case that uh, it seems like the, like the new testament talks about us like as in union maybe like one substance um why would that substance have to be physical like you have this idea of I idealism where everything would um like be the product of a mind and like maybe we could just have like a mind and like our bodies are a reflection of that mind or something along those lines um i'm I, an idealist would know a lot better more than i would in this kind of like circumstance but do you think like you could like open the door for like another kind of like one substance view such as like idealism um with these passages that you think support physicalism yeah i mean you could um there, there are many ways to interpret scripture um mm -hmm. many different kind of hermeneutical devices and philosophical ideas and stuff like that i'm, I'm very open to seeing that and I, i'd be very curious to read it um uh I, it part of me kind of goes is this again trying to put um is this trying to get a, a talking about a tree that the car might drive into versus talking about the car itself? Mm -hmm. And I think what I wish a lot of Christian philosophers did was, and I'm not saying um, don't engage with philosophy. I'm not saying that at all, or don't engage with science, but I wish a lot of folks started with kind of scripture and kind of allowed scripture to kind of dictate certain things. Cause mm -hmm. the sense I get from a lot, some of my dualist friends, not all of them, not I'd say a substantial amount of them is I, I read a philosophy textbook, and the Bible plays really no formation in how I construct this. And I kind of go, okay, I, I, I completely reject that idea. And I, and I also see this was with a few physicalist kind of more secular friends of mine. It's like, oh, I don't need to read the Bible or, I mean, they're, it's not that they're secular, but you know, they're, they're very physicalist, like, you know, kind of mm -hmm. thing. And I kind of go, okay, no, like maybe the, maybe if you integrate the two, you end up with dualism, maybe you don't. But what I would like to see from my dualist friends on this is an actual engagement with the text of the New Testament on the New Testament's terms. And if the New Testament challenges your dualism, great, become a physicalist. If it doesn't, become a Christian idealist or a or or or, or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I do think my understanding of dual, uh, physicalism might open the door to that. Uh, it's not something I worry as much about, um, mostly because I, I just look at them and go, okay, but what does the Bible say? Yeah. And if so they got something, if they got something, then maybe like and that but to me that that it's kind of now we're talking about the premise over here which yeah. is fine because i i love speculative theology i love philosophical theology or at least reading it i'm not very good at engaging in it um but at the end of the day i'm like that is over here mm -hmm. and so i'm leaning over here to talk about it you know but yeah where I, where where i think we should be talking about it at least substantially is right here at least to, but but i take your point i think that is something that, mm -hmm. that's worthy of thinking about so in your view, then you kind of just think like it seems pretty solid that the New Testament teaches physicalism um, and then you kind of just go from there. And that's kind of how you engage with these other ideas with regards to like philosophy of mind and consciousness and like all these big questions. Yeah, I, I try to because uh, I, I know my wheelhouse. I know I know my limits. If I pick up, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I don't know, uh, David Palman's always reading books on evidentialism, internalism, presuppositionalism, all these sorts of things, stuff. I just kind of go, huh? you know, yeah. Uh, I'm not qualified to read this because I'm not formally trained in them. And I, and I'm very loath to speak on something where I'm speak with authority and conviction about something that I I'm not, I'm not educated on. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I took one philosophy class and I got a D in it, not because I, I was bad at philosophy, but because I was just a bad student overall and didn't care. And mm -hmm. it's also a funny story, but uh, I, I won't, it's, it's a very funny story. But I think for me, it's a matter of, trying to figure out what God's word says and then kind of trying to look at the bigger picture of, of the conversation. And 
I mean, I do that with everything. That's the reason, for example, I'm I'm an egalitarian because I believe that's what scripture says. I'm a Wesleyan because I think that's what scripture says. I believe we have free will because I think that's what scripture says. Now, can other things inform my view of scripture or challenge how I read a certain passage? Sure. But I try to begin with the premise of scripture as authoritative and inspired and then try to build upon that premise. And so far, it hasn't let me down. Although, and but it does mean I could be wrong about how I've understood it. And that's where the philosophers can come and say, oh, you're presupposing this. And I can go, you're right. Or no, you're presupposing that. And yeah. that's where the conversation gets fun. Hmm. That's great. Um, so what we'll do now is we'll go to a little bit of Q&A if that works for you, Nick. Sure. Hit me. Awesome. Um, really hard hitting question here from Ethan, which says, all I want to know is will I have a body that can walk through walls or any other superpowers, like maybe maybe some flying or something like that along the lines. Dude, Ethan, when, when you get to my age, um, all you want is a body that has a decent metabolism. <laughs> like in the new creation, if if we do eat meat or if we do have junk food, which I don't know if we will, but uh, if we do, boy, I'm looking forward to just being like, you know, what? I'm going to eat 10 pounds of steak. That's <laughs> what I want. And I don't have to worry about it. Um, and then of course my first thought is good Lord, that poor animal that or animals that got sacrificed to make it. But um no, it's it's that's something I wonder too sometimes. Like, boy, that'd be fun. Like, but mm -hmm. I think in terms of glory, it's it's kind of hard to envision a creation where you're feasting on stuff like that. But then again, who who knows? God is weird in a good way, of course. <laughs> Only in a good way, of course. Um, another question from Curity, which says, um, the Israelites were modest. That's why they refer to um good men or the rewards of God. They point to wealth, like Job or Abraham, for example. Um, doesn't doesn't physical imply that for Christians um, and expect earthly re rewards in life? Um, yeah, do you know I, I think, yeah, no, I think I know what he means uh, or he mm -hmm. or she. Um, it's a really interesting question because I think there is. Okay. So there, there's, there's a, a few things. Um, one, I, I think Cordy is right actually that I think kind of like the new Testament, the old Testament seems to presuppose a form of monism. Um but there is a sense, and monism meaning one thing, one thing, dualism, two things, tripartitism or tri or whatever, tri three things, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. Um, excuse me. With, with if you take the Old Testament theology as a whole, like you take all of it, you get the sense that there might be some things that happen post death. Um, mm -hmm. Resurrection is not. You find the seeds of resurrection in in the in the Old Testament in the First Testament. But you don't have a developed doctrine of it. Uh, you have uh, glimpses of it in Daniel, uh, in Isaiah, um, and maybe a little bit in Ezekiel, um, some of the prophetic books. And I and I take those seriously because I think you know they're they're precursors to what God is doing. You know, um, mm -hmm. but as far as a lot of the conception was, and okay, so the a lot of the conception was when you die, your rewards are your are, are the life you're given now, which is true, like. That's not necessarily wrong. What I do see happening in a lot of uh, literature, or at least in popular literature, as it relates to kind of this debate, is the is the assertion that Old Testament thought in its context was monistic, or at least the, the Hebrews were monistic. And I don't know if that's true uh, as a whole, mm -hmm. because that seems to play off the idea of you have a pure monism over here, you know, that's untouched by culture or theology. When we all know, if we read the Old Testament, the First Testament, the Jewish people were continually getting in trouble through syncretism and syncretism with you know, other idols or even just other beliefs or other ideas that happens just over time. That's culture. And so I don't know if we can say they were pure monists or, or monists as a whole. Um, you could say that the dominant theme 
probably is monism, but there are enough exceptions of goofy things like shades and shale, right? The, the, there being activity in, you know, in the ground. Of course, I could refer to demons or other figures. Um, and, and Samuel, when he's raised from the dead, I saw in chat, Samuel, not Nathan, it was Samuel. So thank mm -hmm. you for ever mentioning that. I don't remember the name, but thank you. I, I was blanking on that. He, if I recall correctly, and I could be wrong, he's called, an, he's called um, I can't remember if it's El or Elohim, but he's called a god when he comes out of the ground, which lends it to the story of it being like, okay, this is, this is, to put it crudely, this is God screwing with with King with Saul. Like God's like, all right, we're gonna play with you, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And God tries to kill him at one point, you know. So it's like you know, the Old Testament's weird in a good way. Uh, but I think it's kind of hard to say they were monists without offering a, a major asterisk to that. But I do think it does give us grounds to go. Okay, how did Paul, a Jew who read his Jewish scriptures, who memorized them, found Jesus all over them, had his theology and uh, epistemology informed by them? How would he? How much did he deviate from his view, given Hellenization and philo modern philosophy, or modern in his time philosophy? Did how did his views change, or did they change, or did they develop? And I would argue, the evidence that I see suggests that he didn't. If he did, um, he only reinforced that he, he basically poured water over the seeds of resurrection and was like, boom, massive garden explosion, and that's because mm -hmm. he had Jesus. Yeah. That's great. Um, Kelvi Coelho says, um, if already addressed, if not already addressed, where does this fall with um, the hyperdimensional view? Um, Christ must be physical and yet can walk through walls and is sitting in heaven. Um, would heaven not be spiritual? Um, so what do you think like with like the nature of Christ, I guess, and like the incarnation with regards to physicalism, maybe? Um, maybe. Um, do I, I do wonder if it's more than that. Um, and it might be that we do believe, and this is this is an issue too, is Christ has a physical body. He was raised, he was bodily raised from the dead, and he ascended to heaven with that physical body. The question is, are we talking merely physical or fully physical? Fully physical and, or fully human in the sense of being what God intends us to be in terms of glory? Um, or is it still just Christ is walking around like you or I would walk around? And I don't think that's the case because you do have elements in the New Testament where one, he ascends. So already something, something weird's happening. He walks through walls, but yet he eats, yet he still has the scars on his hand, yet all this. So I think what you have here is Christ in his gl resurrected glory being able to do those things. Um, I'm not sure what the hyperdimensional view is. I'm not familiar with the definition, so I can't speak to that. So and. Yeah, you know me. I, I try to stay in my my. I know mm -hmm. my lane. I'll stay in yeah. my lane. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think Christ still had a physical body because it's not. It, it's one of those things. If if Christ um, was raised from the dead and then discarded his body, we'd be like, okay, what what was the point of that then? Oh, you showed us you can do that. Okay, but what is the significance of your? I mean, how does that work pastorally or devotionally? Right. The fact that you know he still has the scars on his hands, he can show them to us. Hey, I bore your sins. I've done this for you. You know, and stuff like that. It's a testament to one the impact of human sin, but also two of God's goodness and greatness in raising him from the dead despite our human sin that nailed him to the cross. And so, I'm not quite sure, but I think also the idea of heaven as spiritual is also something that needs to be addressed. Heaven as spiritual in the sense of a place we go, I don't think is true, but heaven as a place where God dwells is true. So mm -hmm. um, it could be um, Kelvi Cuello uh, has w both those things in mind when he's talking. Um, but I, I just want to make that distinction. I think he's probably made that distinction already, but just, just so we're clear on maybe what he was getting at just for people that are listening. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, maybe one last question here from Kelvi Quayo, which says, um, is this positing God as a physical being or are we just talking created things? Um, so I just think you would not physical. Mm-hmm. No, although Christ did become a, a physical being, a human, a human person. So the word, the word became flesh and tabernacled or made his home among us. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, awesome. Thank you. So that's all our questions. So to wrap things up, Nick, can you solve the hard problem of consciousness? Um, read the Bible. <laughs> I like it. Um, well, Nick, thank you so much for joining me. Um, talking about like the theology of like New Testament physicalism and things like that. Uh, it's been so much fun. Do you have any kind of like last thoughts, things you want to say before um, we wrap things up here? No, it's an, uh, I could be wrong. Uh, it's one of those things. There are certain, certain, theological perspectives I hold I'm like you know I'm, I'm probably right on this but mm-hmm. you know okay, I, I could be wrong um what I what I what I hope that my dualist friends take seriously and I know they do but I want them to really consider it is the bodily resurrection is the starting point for Christian theology it is not you know going to heaven when you die it is not arguing about mind body problems it is that God raised Jesus from the dead and that's mm-hmm. where we should begin our begin our conversations, begin our debates. Um, and I would challenge my dualist friends to be as careful as they can be as it relates to the soul going somewhere, the body staying here, or the body being bad, or all this sort of stuff. And you'd want you to get away from your body and stuff like that. We're getting a new body in heaven, meaning, you know, this body sucks. I want a new one, like an upgrade on a car, you know, stuff like that. I, I would challenge us because the body we have is going to be itself liberated from death and sin and bondage. And that means we, and that's a good way of living, right? You have the body that you have is going to be redeemed, but that's not an excuse to treat it like a rental car because you're stuck with the rental car. You know, it's not as if you can just trash it and be completely fine. It's no, God created us as physical creatures and plans on raising us as physical creatures. Hmm. And that means our ethics need to be taken seriously. How we live becomes very serious. And also the hope that we have becomes serious because um, as God raised Jesus from the dead and Jesus still ate and Jesus did all these things, so too we will be. But Mm. that's contingent upon God raising Jesus from the dead. And so I think that uh, I think that's a good pastoral note. Mm. Well, that's great, Nick. Thank you so much um, for joining me today. I encourage everyone if you ha- don't script- if you aren't subscribed to the New Testament Theologist, be sure to do that. Um, but Nick, I appreciate your time, and feel free to share like how people can follow you and such um, if you want to do that now. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Twitter at Nick Quint. Um, I probably won't if you send me a friend request on Facebook. No offense to you, it's all my fault. Uh, I just try to unless I've sh- had the privilege of shaking your hand or reading one of your amazing books. Um, I probably don't accept for most friend requests um, or, you know, maybe you're just a cool person. I just do, but uh, I try to limit that to, to who I am friends. Would with you accept my friend request? Yeah, because we've talked face to face. I know you're not a bot. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so you can find me there. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at, uh, I think it's just new Testament theologist um, mm-hmm. theology, but ist. Um, you, if you search it, it'll ask you for new Testament. The- Do you mean new Testament theology? And you have to actually say, no, I mean, new Testament <laughs> theologist. And I should be yeah. the first avatar that pops up, uh, which makes me laugh. Just, I just find it incredibly funny. I should just call myself the new Testament theology guy. It would have been a lot easier, <laughs> but you can find me there. Um, yeah, that's, uh, those are the two places where I'm, I'm fairly active and you can reach out to me and stuff like that. 
Hmm. Yeah, well, that's great. Um, and I encourage everyone to subscribe to Nick's channel if you haven't already. Um, but I th- want to say thank you so much, Nick, for joining me today. Um, thank you, everyone who tuned in. It's been so much fun talking about um, the New Testament and theology and physicalism and all this stuff. So Kelvy, Spartan Theology, Curity, everyone else who joined us, um, John Dunphy, uh, the man, JMD Apologetics, also joining. Thank you, everyone. And then if you're new to the channel, I encourage you to subscribe, um, whether you're here via YouTube or podcast, leave a like. And if you enjoy the show, you can support us on Patreon.com so I should hear an apologetics for as little as a dollar a month. You can also do a yearly subscription if you don't want to have like the monthly charges and such. Um, so appreciate your support there. But Nick, thank you so much one last time for joining me. Absolutely, brother. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And thank you everyone for tuning in. Have a good one and God bless.